This week, we're finally finishing off the Nora Ephron rom-com Triple Crown. Welcome, everyone, to Refitted, the podcast where we are recasting classic movie reboots so Hollywood doesn't have to do it. Uh, but, sorry, I, I'm in, like, a new apartment, so I, I'm not exactly sure how loud I can be. So that's why my intro this week was, like, very library-esque. <laughs> It was a real Bill Pullman kind of introduction here. <laughs> uh, weak and emasculated. And <laughs> uh, we are talking about Sleepless in Seattle, starring Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Ross Malinger, Bill Pullman, and Rosie O'Donnell. Um, this is a rom-com where the two main characters never meet until the end. And it shouldn't work. But it works. It works brilliantly. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, this is really one of those like happily ever after movies where I'm like, I need to see what happened the next day because by all accounts, it probably won't work because they've cool, never right? they've never spoken and she fell in love with him because he was nice on a radio call. <laughs> uh, Marsha, or should I call you Dr. Fieldstone? Dr. Marsha. Dr. Dr. Marsha. I don't mean to be. Room. Oh, and I don't want to invade your privacy. Oh, sure, sure you, you do. do. Go on, Sam. I'm listening. Sam. <clears throat> we had a pretty tough time there at first. Mm -hmm. But we're dealing with it. And uh, Jonah and I will get along just fine again as soon as I break his radio. <laughs> I have no doubt that you're a wonderful father. You know, you can tell a lot from a person's voice. You certainly can. But something must be missing if Jonah still feels that you're under a cloud. And just a few questions. Are you sleeping at night? He doesn't sleep at all. How do you know that? I live here, Dad. Yeah, I, uh, uh, uh... So, sorry, we, this is sort of our first episodes <laughs> in a while, so I'm, I'm a mm -hmm. little out of it, like... We're kind of in a whole new world here. We're recording thousands of miles apart. I'm currently yeah. in Atlanta for work. Hopefully the sound is is still okay. Um, we had an election. Mm -hmm. We had people not believe that election happened. Mm -hmm. The whole world is kind of, you know, wildly different since our Halloween yeah. episode. There's a second wave hitting Europe and <laughs> probably hitting the US at some point. <laughs> All in all, though, yeah, how you doing? <laughs> how you doing? I think, um, I think Dr. Marsha Fieldstone is right. I think you can tell a lot from a person's voice. And so I hope we sound <laughs> positive and <laughs> excited about our future uh, under new leadership. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, and we're sliding into the holidays. So we were trying to think of some a movie that would sort of, you know, regardless of your politics or what is happening in the world or your anxieties generally has all like would make you feel good. Like this is probably a, a brilliant feel good movie. It's about love and romance and loss and healing and it's funny and it has two of the most biggest stars in the world ever. Here's so we thing. thought, why not? Here's the thing though. At its core, this movie is very sad. <laughs> it really is. I was like, not, I, I totally forgot all of the stuff about like his wife dying and how, how like really depressed Tom Hanks is in this movie. He's mourning his wife and 
from jump when we meet Meg Ryan, she's so not committed to her wonderful fiance. <laughs> We're just like watching these two people sort of crumble um, in, a, in a, a very light, fun, upbeat sort of way. I think that's sort of a testament to the, the cast, which we'll talk about very, very shortly. Um, because that's what we do here. If you guys haven't ever listened to this podcast before, welcome to Rebooted. I am your host, Brian Flynn. With me as always, despite the numerous states in between us, is my co-host, Kenna Trent, uh, where we will take a classic Hollywood film and talk about it as if it was to be remade today. Uh, Sleepless in Seattle is one of my favorite movies, and I think this is finally the last sort of what I'm calling the Nora Ephron Triple Crown uh, we talked about, um, I have it here. You've got mail back in episode eight. When Harry met Sally, we actually did earlier this year, a couple weeks ago, episode 99. So, uh, you know, it, some 2020 was just the year we needed Nora Ephron, <laughs> just like a lot yeah. more Nora Ephron. Um, so, uh, before we get into it though, uh, we have so much, we have so much news. Uh, we're only going to do a couple of these stories here. Um, Let's talk about Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, <clears throat> Smokey and the Bandit is being remade for television by Halloween's David Gordon Green and Brian Sides. The pair are developing the adaptation of the 1977 Burt Reynolds movie with UCP and Seth MacFarlane's Fuzzy Door. Um, I don't know much. I haven't seen Smokey and the Bandit. I know this is my knowledge of Smokey and the Bandit. It's referenced a lot in Kevin Smith movies. So that's uh -huh. sort of my <laughs> extent. But I know it's like Burt Reynolds bootlegging southern comedy kind of uh sheriff uh buford t justice please who that this is band of darble talking where are you you some bitch before i tell you where i am sheriff there's just one thing i want to say you must be part coon dog because i've been chased by the best of them and son you make them look like they're all running in slow motion just want to say that well thank you mr bandit and as the pursuer, may I say you're the goddamnest pursuee I ever pursued. Yeah. Do you, are you, have any thoughts and feelings about Smokey and the Bandit? I think my, uh, the trigger point of this article is that it's Seth MacFarlane's company that's going to uh, be helping to develop this, which I think is a very specific uh, choice for something like this, because I guess I sort of imagine it being, what was that Netflix movie that he did? Maybe it wasn't a Netflix movie, but it was like a Western. Oh yeah. With Charlize Theron. Yes. Wait, was Charlize Theron in that movie? Yeah. Yeah. What was uh, it called? But I think like tonally thinking about the shift from like what it is to what it might be in that world is a little like, Oh, uh, You're thinking of a million ways to die in the West. Oh, yes. Yes. Charlize Theron and Liam Neeson were both in this movie. Hmm. I mean... Amanda Seyfried, Sarah Silverman. Everybody's got to yeah. get paid. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm getting very like Coen Brothers, like uh, Fargo kind of vibes where it's... it's. That would be great. Yeah. But I don't know. But you're right. Because like the Seth MacFarlane, like self-referential kind of thing might be a little... It's a little broader uh, than I think yeah. w w what I would want to see this be. I say as if I'm definitely tuning in. I don't know. But 
Okay, should I think we I'd have to watch this movie. Yeah, well, I just, I, I feel like there's a lot of cultural references that stem from Smoking the Bandit that I've missed mm. out on. I should probably start watching that movie. Um, okay, uh, should we move on to something that might be of interest to sure. a broader audience, perhaps? Uh, a, a AV Club is reporting that Dwayne Johnson is developing a Scorpion King reboot. Um, editorializing, they say, since he barely has any action franchises. Um, <laughs> so I love the very first sentence of this article. It says, Tom Cruise killed the mummy and the hopes and dreams of Universal, which was counting on the success of the monster movie reboot to launch its Stark Universe series. But that doesn't mean there still isn't some blood left in the mummy franchise for the studio to squeeze out. <laughs> Uh, so Dwayne Johnson and his seven bucks productions and universal are developing a reboot of the Scorpion King. Uh, Jonathan Herman, who wrote straight out of Compton and, uh, fast and furious nine will be writing the script. Uh, at this point, they don't know if Dwayne Johnson will reprise his role as the Scorpion King. I'm assuming no, but he's also big star power as they point out in the article. Um, so who knows if they'll, if, they think they might need it. Okay. So here's the thing. I was in the Sahara Desert shooting The Mummy Returns, and it was about 115 degrees in the middle of the Sahara Desert. I was so sick. It was my very first movie. We were shooting in 115 degree weather. I was freezing. The director, Stephen Summers, had to come over after every take. He put blankets on me. I had two blankets on me. It was the worst. He came and he said, are you okay? Can you continue to go on? I didn't want to call it quits. So I get back to my hotel room that night. I get on the phone with my agent and he goes, listen, I've got great news for you. I said, what? He goes, they're watching the dailies and they want to turn this character that you're playing uh, into its own movie. They want to give you your own movie. He goes, what do you think? I said, ah, oh, I, th I think it's great. I'm so sick right now. So studios watched the dailies of The Mummy Returns, character I was playing the Scorpion King. They loved it. They said, man, we want to make this into a franchise and we want to give him his own movie. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how my career kind of kicked off in Hollywood. So now he wants to revive the character. <sighs> I think it's a are little. You, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little unfair to say this is because this is like a dark universe adjacent. Like this character is something they made up in the Mummy Returns. It's not like a piece of the mythology. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it has. I I am a little interested in um, the writer of uh, Straight Outta Compton. Great movie, Fast and Furious Nine. We have yet to see, but by all accounts might be the best movie ever made. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated to see if it is a more like modern Dwayne Johnson bumped up action movie, like what that might look like. But do we need this? No. Do we no, want I, it? No. I don't, I, think so. I don't want it. I don't want it if he's not in it. Like, I know because, you know, the AV Club is sort of linking a report from uh, Deadline, which is saying that, like, the actor isn't linked to this project because he's, like, fully booked for the next year and a half, two years. So, like, who are you going to get to play this character that no one cares about? And the only reason we did care about it back then was because th this was, like, his 
first or one of his first big action movie roles Mm -hmm. straight out of like the WWE. Like it's sort of the thing that put him on the map cinematically. So why would I, why would I watch it without him? Right? Like it just, it, it's like independence day without Will Smith. No one cares. It doesn't matter. Um, But something, I don't know, something, the way that this is being written is like, it's so important to him that it it feels like he will be a part of it. But also, I can't help but think if you had somebody in the lead role who had as much star power as him. And I mean, I know that like he has been notorious for being like, nobody has as much star power as me. (laughs) And (laughs) I, what did he say one time? He's franchise Viagra or whatever. Like, (laughs) like, I like, yes, I think he's very specifically the kind of person that it's like, ooh, this with The Rock there. But like, I'm thinking about who would be another like action movie person that I might be excited to see do this. I mean, Jason Momoa came to mind. Yeah. But, like, but doesn't that sort of feel like a shadow of like The Rock? Like Jason Momoa made a Conan movie and no one saw it. You know what I mean? Like, is that which is interesting? Because wasn't that around the time that Dwayne Johnson made like Hercules, and it was essentially like the same exact visual style? And yes, I don't think anybody cared about either of them. But no, I don't know. I know what you're saying. Like, if it's somebody that I like personality wise might bring the same kind of energy. Maybe I'd watch a different like version, but I do think you're right, and that there's something about him that it's like, oh, okay, if you're reviving it, but you're not the Scorpion King, then yeah, wh- why? Yeah, I don't know. Is it is it one of those things where it's like a true reboot, and it's just going to offshoot its own sort of timeline in a new branch, or is it going to bring back your beloved Mummy franchise in a way? That is a thought I had, where like. What if, what if like the dark universe like rolls back out with the mummy and they do their own thing and they don't take my advice and use uh, Rick O'Connell as like a grounding character? Mm-hmm. What if this is the way to keep it going? Like, what if, what if Dwayne Johnson is like, let's bring some of the familiar characters back in a way where like we get to, I don't know, fully fully feel out like I don't know I would be into that like let's do an offshoot version do we think think Dwayne Johnson and Brendan Fraser are friends no I'm sure they'd get along but I'm sort of just like this must be what it's like to be an executive at Universal every day is like (laughs) jump on the dark universe zoom meeting every day and just knock your heads against each other for hours to figure out a backdoor way to make this fucking work i mean here's the thing i would if if i if i were at that point in my career where i was constantly like taking stuff out you better believe every time i had a meeting at universal i'd be like we could hear me out. <laughs> reboot the well, money like, <laughs> so. all right let's uh let's cut out of 20 20- 20 and, and jump back to an easier, simpler time of 1993 and talk about uh, Sleepless in Seattle. You ready to do that? Yeah, let's do it. All right, guys, this is our reboot of Sleepless in Seattle. Jonah, tell the truth. Are you spying <gasps> on your father? Who's he kissing right this minute? Listen to this. I have to make them stop. 
How am I going to explain this to Walter? She came over and cooked it. She brought two bags of groceries like she was staying here for a year. Jonah, Jonah, it's good that your father's dating. It's just hard on you. It's something that you think you want, but then when it actually happens, it scares you. That's not true. Okay, now think. Shouldn't your father be the judge of whether someone is right or wrong for him? He's not sane enough to judge anything. Now he's kissing her on the lips. She's a hoe. My dad's been captured by a hoe. What am I going to do? Calm down, Jonah. Calm down. Tomorrow morning, when you're sitting down to breakfast with your dad, tell him how you feel. It's not good to keep your feelings inside you. Jonah? Miss Scarlet in the broom closet with the radio. Poor Bill Pullman. I'm I'm very glad he eventually got to play the president because like if not like this would be his like defining role of his lifetime and it would just be like no so sad while you were sleeping oh yeah he was that he was he was like the, he was the romantic lead yeah he gets the girl in that one um, Sleepless in Seattle as we mentioned before was directed by Nora Ephron director of such classic rom-coms as You've Got Mail and uh, the writer of When Harry Met Sally directed by Rob Reiner who also makes an appearance in this movie uh, via cameo um, shout out to Rob Reiner who we unfortunately didn't make the didn't make the cut of characters but like mm-hmm. um, so, I mean he he still makes an impact. Like he he's so good in the two or three scenes that he's in. Yeah. Um, it stars. I, I don't even. Do I even need to mention who who the stars? I feel like people know <laughs> this movie is like one of the two biggest rom coms of all time. It stars Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Their second of three movies that they would do together in their career, I believe. Mm-hmm. First one being Joe versus the volcano. This and then you've got mail years later in nineteen ninety. Eight? When was that moon? That sounds right. 97, 98? 90, yeah. Um, it also stars Ross Malinger as Jonah Baldwin, uh, Tom Hanks' son, Bill Pullman as Walter, uh, and Rosie O'Donnell as Becky, um, Annie Reed's best friend. Um, you'd see this movie, I'm assuming. It's This isn't something that like on your list of classic movies you hadn't seen. No, I've definitely seen this one. I do think... Because it stars two people who have done a lot of, relatively a lot of movies together, that I was like, which one is this one? And then I have to remind myself, like, oh, this is the <laughs> one where two very um, attractive, charismatic, likable people don't talk to each other through the whole movie. <laughs> it's right. that one. They literally are complete strangers until the very end of the movie. And you just hope that it works because of all the, the like, this is what's so weird about this version uh, of a rom-com. Like, I don't know if there's different like categories of rom-coms, but like there's the friends that obviously should be together that mm-hmm. end up falling in love. Then there's like the people who are absolutely wrong for each other who fall in love. This one, however, is like, People who have never, ever met ever, but mm-hmm. are somehow connected to each other and then finally meet at the end. I don't, I can't think of another movie that, or another rom-com that does that exactly. Which is interesting because what you just described is like 
the Nora Ephron trilogy of movies. Like when Harry, <laughs> when Harry Met Sally is right. friends who should be together. You've got mail is people who shouldn't be together falling in love. And yes. then this is people who never see each other. Exactly. But like in, in this one, more than the other two, it's almost like a horror movie where like rules of life are set up where it's like, she doesn't believe in destiny. She's trying to convince herself that mm -hmm. nothing happens for any reason. It's just, you know, just circumstance and coincidence. And then suddenly she starts to realize that's not who she is. At her core, she believes in romance and magic and she wants that for herself. And Sam is on the other side of that being like, I've experienced it. I know that's real and I'm never going to get it again. And so, because this world has like magical rules that is constantly showing that they need to be together and then when they meet, it will, it will happen, that it works. This movie, by all accounts, shouldn't work. I can't think of another movie that does this except for like Fifth Element. <laughs> like, right. Like, I the think bad guy and the good guy don't meet. I think, too, what's weird about this is trying to think about a modern version of this. Like, yes, I think that like... Delilah still exists in a way and like there's still like radio call-in shows but like nobody listens to the radio so I'm thinking I'm thinking about it and I'm like at first you're like oh, okay this woman's crazy because she heard a man with a nice voice being kind on the radio and was like I think I love him <laughs> but I thought about it and I was like but here's the thing Kenna how many times have you I'm speaking to myself. How many times have you watched, seen someone's like random Instagram profile, watched some <laughs> random TikTok, like heard some, heard a guest on a podcast you like to listen to and have had the thought, I don't know. Yeah. Like maybe we would be good together. I think it's a thing. Like, I think there is a version of this where like we can be so connected without actually speaking to people still mm -hmm. via like social media and media that i think there is a way to still do this but it is weird it's tricky and i'll say this true story i met my girlfriend because of instagram so <gasps> it did it, you, it, did it, you I, slide into those dms no we have a, we had a mutual friend so i basically texted my mutual friend and then we met like a year later but the, like yeah like the idea that's like you you hear something or you glance at someone and like you think that it is could open like infinite possibilities. You just don't know when or where it's going to happen. This is just so dated that like trying to like I, I wrote this down. Like, what is the radio analogy? Is it an Instagram story? Is it mm -hmm. a viral video? Is it like one of those like <laughs> what are those stupid like now this like thirty second Twitter videos where they're like watch a teacher quit on the spot or like watch like. <laughs> dad adopts his foster child for Christmas. Like, it, it, I, I'm not exactly sure what that modern version is. Is it a podcast? Is there like a self-help podcast that like 2020 Jonah emails and then suddenly they're recording some kind of episode about Sleepless in Seattle? I don't know. But that was a, sort of like a fun exercise to like think about. I just mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I don't know exactly what it would be now and I don't have time. But it is figure that out. But it is an interesting thought that like for 1993 this radio call goes viral. 
Like everybody, yeah. by the next day, everybody's like, oh my gosh, did you hear the guy who lost his wife? And he was so kind. And so people are like passing the story on to other people. Like that kind of stuff will always do that. So right. I do think there is a way to, like you said, like have the like viral, like see a, see a man who lost his wife, like describe his like perfect woman. Like people would come to that in droves to be like, is that me? <laughs> I think we could still do it. I think we could still make this work. Okay. Well, let's get into it because I, I, um, I've been really busy. So I, I'm in Atlanta for, for work. Um, not ideal, but like, you know, I, I, I'm here, I'm doing it. Uh, and so I didn't really have time to try and like make mega changes to this movie. Mm-hmm. And then after I watched it, I was like, I was kind of like, I don't know if I need to make any changes like for diversity's sake. Like, I don't know. It was something to me was just like, this might be the whitest movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so like, it's, very it's hard to kind of place, um, like to change the story just to modernize it. I feel like it's because it's such a simple romantic movie that you, you could, you just have to pick good actors. You just Mm -hmm. have to pick actors that you think people will want to watch. And so if we just roll into Sam Baldwin, I'll just ask you this, who is harder to recast Tom Hanks or Nick Cage? Because we've done a (laughs) bunch of their movies and it's just so hard. That's why they're so like good at what they do. That's why they're like mega stars. Like, it's just difficult to take what Tom Hanks has and replicate that. Like even his son is, it's like, it's just feels. You have to, you have to be very specific because Tom Hanks in general, impossible to recast, but like thinking about it, I was like, okay, well, what do I love about him in this movie? He's charming, a little like unsure of himself, kind of sad, but very endearing and so, like, I've had to take it, like, on a case-by-case basis. Because you can't just be like, oh, this person is the modern Tom Hanks. It just doesn't work like that. Right. Like, yeah. you have to be like, okay, specifically what it is it about him that I can pull from somebody today. Because overall, yeah. it's impossible to find someone with that same, like, impossible quality. You, you know, know, I think you're right. That's how I kind of went at it. It's like, who is Sam in 2020? Because as you mentioned, Sam is so depressed mm-hmm. and he doesn't admit that he's depressed until Jonah forces him to call Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, <laughs> which is <laughs> so funny. But like, uh, and maybe, maybe this is just my cue to go first, but I wrote this down. I was like, uh, what's hard about Sam and this is why Tom Hanks is perfect for it is that he's a character that meets tragedy with great humor. And that's what makes him so watchable as a character. And it's a very difficult thing to cast So, um, I decided to go with an actor who I recently have seen on a couple rewatches of some movies I watched this week, but he started as a a teen heartthrob, but has been like slowly digging his way back into like a more like, um, mature audience kind of role. Like, I think Mm -hmm. when we see him, you're like, oh yeah, him, remember him from that show? And then you're like, oh yeah, he's really good. Like he should... He should definitely still be around. But I ended up picking Adam Brody, um, mm. who it was in Ready or Not, which I rewatched for Halloween. And I rewatched Scream 4. I forgot he was in Scream 4. <laughs> but um, specifically in Ready or Not, he plays like this very like morose yet funny 
like older brother character. And I just felt like he has that right mix of like someone who could play, you know, a guy in deep, deep mourning and still be like a really funny guy to be around, really charming guy to be around, uh, a great father type uh, to his kid and is just trying to make it on his own and still like, well, what does Sam say? He's like, I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to breathe in and out every day. And then eventually mm. I'll remind myself that I don't have to remind myself to get out of bed and breathe in and out every day. Like, um, I don't know. I, I want to watch him in more things. And here's a shout out. He's married to Leighton Meester. Like we need to get this couple yeah, more yeah, yeah, work. Yeah. <laughs> you feel very strongly about getting Leighton Meester more work. <laughs> These two people should be like, I won't say they should be in everything, but like they, they need to be in, in bigger, bigger uh, projects. That's, that's just my opinion. I think that's a great choice because there is something about just being like, he would play a great, like sad boy, like just like <laughs> sad, boy, sad, boy. Just, like, sad, but like you like him. You're not like, okay, dude, get over it. You're like, no, like he, he could play a very quirky, I think morose kind of dad figure, which is weird to think that he's achieved like dad, dad status. status. Yeah. But, but yeah. it's like, and I just see him. And if you pair him with the, the right child actor to have that kind of banter that Sam and Jonah have with each other, like they are father and son, but oftentimes they're like best friends. Like they're the only two people that they have in their world. So it's like, they're really close. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think, I think he could pull it off. I'm rooting for him. I think that's great. I think Thank you. I think I sort of thought the same thing about making sure that the the father-son combo works really well. And maybe almost that like he's a good dad, but he's like out of his depth kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like I think that works really well too. And I I can just like see that on some actors a little easier than I can see it on others, if that makes sense. Um yeah. so for my Sam, I picked Chris O'Dowd. Mm. This I, felt like a Chris O'Dowd movie. Like, <laughs> like, like I can see Sam or Walt. He's got to be in this movie at some point. I can see him being the dad that's a, drowning a little in his own feelings, but doing a pretty good job of maintaining himself. Like showing up to the work site, you know, being the one that like his client loves him, but also like his friend mentions maybe like getting back out there. And he's like, how? Things are a little different now. First, you have to be friends. You have to like each other. Then your neck. This could go on for years. Then you have tests and then you get to do it with a condom. The good news is you split the check. I don't think I could let a woman pay for dinner. Great. They'll throw a parade in your honor. You'll be man of the year in Seattle Magazine. Tiramisu. What is tiramisu? You'll find out. What is it? You'll see. Some woman is going to want me to do it to her, and I'm not going to know what it is. You'll love it. Oh, this is going to be tough. Um, And what's also great about Chris O'Dowd is that he has a similar hairstyle to early 90s Tom Hanks. Like, what is going on with his hairstyle? It's very Bosom Buddies, like... It is. Late it, 80s into 90s Hanks. It hadn't... Yeah, it hadn't transitioned to something more sleek. He was still, like... <laughs> Just letting it happen. Like, kind him. of like fro froish, yeah. <laughs> no, I love Chris O'Dowd, and he's he's so funny too. So 
Um, I also tried this time to make a very concerted effort to cast people that I have not cast before because I'm really bad about going back to the same people <laughs> Wait, that I love. you've never cast Chris O'Dowd? No. Shocking. So I very specifically was like, who are people that I love that I've just never seen mm. do this before? Which is really tough because I think there were a lot of like bigger names that I've definitely used yeah. that I was like, maybe, but I tried really hard. I think I hit everybody is new in this cast. I've cast Chris O'Dowd twice and I know for a fact they were both in Christmas movies. So it's something <laughs> about the holidays is just perfect Chris O'Dowd time. Um, okay, let's move on to Annie, played by uh, Meg Ryan, obviously. Annie Reed. I almost said Annie Wilkes. I was like, different Annie. Uh, I, I can't tell which is more classic Meg Ryan. Probably this one, because she's just sort of like... Uh, I'll use the air quotes when say like the Meg Ryan charm, which is sort of like this almost graceful airheadedness, if, if that makes yeah. any sense, where she's just sort of lost in her own kind of like bubble a little bit um especially since she doesn't meet tom hanks until like 50 minutes into the movie when they like yeah. cross at the airport so weird yeah very strange um especially because she is beautiful but like the the like you said the sort of magic moment of it where he's literally just like a b -b 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 like what? And then they, she <laughs> she doesn't know that she's looking for him, but then she shows up to his house and they see each other, but nothing happens. Very strange. Very strange. Again, this sort of pick comes down to like, who do you want to uh, like, who do you want to see have a complete anxiety attack about her life for two hours mm. and still root for her to do this most insane thing, which is like she's not cheating on her boyfriend, but it's like, she's lies to Walter about a work assignment yeah. so that she can go stalk a man that she fell in love with on a radio show. That's insane. And we shouldn't celebrate people like this, but we do in this case because it's, it's Meg Ryan and she's like, has those like starlit eyes and she's kind of like, I believe in love. The fact that she does actually get on a plane and go to Seattle to see him, I think crosses the line into like emotional affair, but we're ultimately okay with it because when she does, which we'll get into this, but when she does tell Bill Pullman everything, he's just like, I mean, <laughs> I guess. Like, should we no. talk about that now or when we get into Walter? Because that is one of the craziest cinematic breakups of let's, all time. Let's give Walter his own moment for okay. goodness sake. But <laughs> you're right. And that we want to like this woman and maybe there's even a better way to do it. So we understand her motivations a little more or like her a little more easily. But like you said, like that might be a casting thing. Like Meg Ryan is so enjoyable that we just don't care. We don't care. And, and there are little moments where like, it's not even just the little moments. There's several times where she recognizes how insane this is, right? Like she knows how crazy it is when she talks to, uh, what's, uh, who's the actor who plays her brother? John, uh, Jonathan Hyde Pierce. Is that his name? Oh yeah. Um, she's like, just trying to get confirmation that she's gone insane. And every time she tries to turn back to Walter, 
she just knows something isn't right. And in mm-hmm. that way, we forgive her because no one wants to live a, a life like that. Right. Um, but her actions are totally, which is where the comedy exists, right? Like her actions are totally insane and crazy. Mm-hmm. And they even talk about like how how insane it is. Like he could be a serial killer. What does Rosie O'Donnell say? He could be like like a serial killer transvestite lunatic and yeah. still wouldn't be as crazy as my Rick or something yeah. like that. And then, and then he, he like Tom Hanks has the same conversation. He's like, she could murder us in our sleep. Like, so I think because they hit those checkpoints of realism that we forgive it, but yeah, I think that's key to the idea that like both sides of the coin, he's also like, she's some weirdo who wrote us a letter. Like she's not, perfect for me like they're both kind of like talking sense into us in a way which i think actually does help with the scenario yeah um so for my annie i picked someone who i think is a highly underrated actress and who i would love to see pop back up in the rom-com game like this i picked kirsten dunst oh interesting what is she doing now fargo I don't know if she's in the most recent season and her showtime show, I think got canceled. Yeah. On becoming a God in central Florida, I think got canceled. Um, yeah, she did Fargo in 2015. This is first of all, she's obviously like a very great actress. I'm, I just feel like she's been in my life for so long that I didn't realize she's only 38. You know, mm-hmm. like, didn't she win an Oscar at like age 10 or something like that? So I'm, I'm just like, well, she, like, we've just known her for so long. She was so a, long. She was a kid when I was a kid. Like, there's a piece of me that's like, how, how old could she be? And yet, I think she's reached this point where, like, I would see her as the woman who has, like, waited put her career first now is in a stable relationship with kind of a wacky guy but Mm -hmm. she loves him and she knows it's okay but that like i like you said i would watch her have a mental breakdown for two hours well i think i'm going crazy dennis i really do are you happily married what i mean why did you get married was it all trumpets and fireworks and i got married because betsy said we had to break up or get married so we got married I don't even know him. I am having all of these fantasies about some man I have never even met who lives in Seattle. It rains nine months of the year in Seattle. I know, I know. I do not want to move to Seattle. But what I really don't want to do is end up always wondering what might have happened and knowing I could have done something. What do you think? It's just cold feet, isn't it? Everybody panicked before they get married. I mean, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, you did. Thank you very much, Dennis. I feel so much better just having blown this off. Like, I think her, like, comedy sensibility is really great. And I think she, like, at one point was the kind of sort of, like, uh, teen, like, romance comedy queen. Mm -hmm. And then, like, that fell to the wayside. So we know she could be like an adult rom-com star. We just never got that specifically in in this sort of way. So You're right. I think I think my initial reaction was that like she doesn't do romantic comedies, but she used to like all the mm-hmm. time. This is a good pick. 
I, I agree with this pick. Okay, because I could totally, I could totally buy her just being like, I fell in love with a man on on the radio, <laughs> and just yes. having like a complete identity crisis because of that. Um, all right, great job, Kirsten Dunst. That's crazy. Like, she's just like around all the time, but like, I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, they, she's. Oh yeah, she she just a... became a mom. That's right. Okay. Uh, I picked. Elizabeth Moss. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we talked about for all the same reasons of of your pick, it's just basically like, this is an actress who I've always rooted for every time she's come on screen, always Mm -hmm. rooted for her to succeed in work, always rooted for her to find true love, always rooted for her to survive, always rooted for her to like get out of whatever place she's currently trapped. Like I just root for Elizabeth Moss. Like she, she to me is kind of, the person I will always see as like the hero of the story, no matter who's around her, because mm-hmm. mainly because of Peggy Olson and Mad Men. But um, listen, that that'll that'll win it because there is something about how much like how many years we spent rooting for Peggy that is like, yes, you've been solidified as a person in my mind that I'm like, I want right. you to win. I want you to <laughs> get what you want because that's what you deserve. Can we talk about the ending of this movie real quick? It is so crazy that the end of this movie works as well as it does. Like when they finally meet and you realize that Joan has been right the whole time and that Sam has fallen in love with Annie at first sight the minute he saw her. Like it works. It's so crazy how the three minutes they're on screen together, you're finally like popping champagne that these two morons are meeting for the first time. I just realized the brilliance of this movie, the brilliance of this movie is that the meet cute happens at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. The whole meet cute is the last scene of the movie. But God damn it, Nora Ephron. Could you argue argue, though that the meet cute is actually not, it's not actually a meet cute because they don't meet, but that the the radio show is the meet cute. Is the meet cute? Yes, you could argue that, but they don't meet. So is it the meet cute? I don't know. It's just interesting to me that like the classic trope mm-hmm. of the meet cute is pushed into the last scene of the movie. So the whole time. That's the only thing you want is to for them to fucking meet, which is weird. Why isn't this movie called When Sam Met Annie? <laughs> like, because they already right. had a movie called When Harry Met Sally. Like, it it just also Sleepless in Seattle is so catchy and specific to the like oh, yeah advice is. era, but like. It is. It is kind of. Fa- it is kind of a fun. And I didn't read the trivia, so I'd be interested to see if this was a take she had on it. Like, it is fun to be like. What if, like, what if this isn't a movie about two people, like, living their lives together? It's just about all the, like, anxiety that comes before they actually meet. Like, yeah. I think I, that's a great, like, way to view a rom-com. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to Jonah, played by, what's his face? Um, Ross Mallinger, adorable child actor. Oh. On and- a scale of one to like Macaulay Culkin. He's he's sitting pretty he's sitting pretty high on the cute child star, precocious, but like a little a little biting. We loved it. We loved it. 
Um, I don't know if he still acts anymore, but I was as I was cruising through IMDb, I was like, if they made a sequel to this movie and he's no longer acting, like Jason Ritter could easily play an adult <laughs> right. Jonah Baldwin. They look yeah. so similar to That's me. True. At least. Also, shout out to Gabby Hoffman, who shows up in this movie. Yeah, as Jessica? Jessica, yeah. The high, the high and goodbye girl? <laughs> oh, I forgot. I'm just looking at her IMDb. I forgot about now and then. We should probably see if that movie is worth rebooting. It would be a lot. Well, actually, it might be fun to do because um, it's like the kids and then their adult mm-hmm. counterparts. That could be cool. Yeah. Also, I called David Hyde Pierce Jonathan Hyde Pierce. I just want to correct that. I was like, I couldn't think of his first name. But. Oh, fascinating. Why did that sound right to me? <laughs> I was just like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. Here's, can we do this? Can, new, like, we, we don't really have any rules now since our rebrand of this podcast, but can we make a rule that we never pick child actors again? This was so hard for me. <laughs> Says the guy who was literally just like, should we do now and then? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, That's we can so agree true. to not do child acting. Oh, That's so true. <laughs> I just feel like we were five years too late, like to pick like a Jonah. Like all of the superstar child actors now are, have just like aged out of this role by like four or five years. We just uh, need to, we we need to become familiar with. It's also been a tough year for pulling <laughs> new faces because we haven't seen as many new movies, and so it's like, who's out there? Who's working? No idea. I'm, like, how is Noah Jupe 15 years old, though? Like, that kid should just be eight the rest of his life, right? We do Isn't not. that how aging works? We do not endorse parents of child stars attempting to stunt the growth of their children. Let's just put that out there. Um, whose turn is it? Your turn? I think it's my turn. All right. I'll, I'll, I picked an actress who has appeared in a couple movies now. She's really adorable, and she was really the only person that was around the age that I could speak of talent-wise. I ended up picking Abby Ryder Forston, who plays uh, Paul Rudd's daughter in Ant-Man, um, which you haven't seen by the look of your face. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen Ant-Man. I don't, I do not remember. I'm sorry to this child. I don't okay. remember she, this child. If you ever watch Ant-Man and the Wasp, she's in it a lot more and she has that same kind of like uh, almost mature soul kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of, I really tried to find a boy I like to play Jonah because I do yeah. think that the dynamic of Sam being a father to a son rather than a daughter is, is actually kind of important to the story. Like, mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess that's just like an example of like how fathers should be with how like men should like be an example to younger men. Like Mm -hmm. Sam is a shining light of like a mature parenting voice to Jonah. And I think it's just different if Jonah's a girl. If you get a new wife, I guess you have sex with her, huh? I certainly hope so. Will she scratch up your back? What? In the movies, women are always scratching up the men's back and screaming and stuff when they're having sex. How do you know this? Jed's got cable. Oh, just... It's definitely... workable, because I do think there's a version of, like... A, like, as much as, like, a boy needs his 
dad like a girl needs her mom and like connecting the ki- like the way that the child should connect with like the idea of like I need a mom or like I want to take care of you my dad like I think you could make it work but I do agree that the the relation ship of like fathers and sons maybe we see less of but it's so specific when you do see it that you're like oh this is nice to see like how they connect and how like there's an um there's like an emotional degree of this like him learning to that his like son sees everything and that he does know that like he's not sleeping and he really misses his mom and like he does want to like take care of him like that is really nice I guess, yeah, I like, I guess what I'm thinking is like, if Jonah was a girl, would it make just as much sense that she would want her dad to find a new mom? Or do you think because you mentioned the connection between daughters and mothers that it would be something where they both would be like, we don't want a new mom. Hmm. Whereas with Jonah's a boy, he can be like, he could recognize like we need some sort of female vibe in here. Like it's just you and me, dad. Like we're not doing great. Like, I mean, a hundred percent, there would be a scene in a version where Jonah's a girl where he has to like help her like braid her hair or paint her nails or some business like that. And she's just like, you ain't doing it, dad. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Like this ain't it. But I don't know if that's something necessarily that like, how how to write a nuanced version of that? <laughs> Not my problem. But right. yes, I do think there is a version of that that works. Okay. Um, I did cast a boy. Mm. And I feel like, honestly, at first I was like, how does this work? And then I it hit me another um, father-son movie dynamic that I really enjoyed that I was like, I think there's something here to draw inspiration from. So I picked for my Jonah, Jabrail Nantambu, who you might remember from the Halloween reboot, who is the little kid that is being babysat, who is like super sassy. If I had some other kind of babysitter, she'd be reading me a story. I wouldn't be up. Clipping my nasty-ass toenails. Uh-huh. Go to bed. You used to be cool. We used to be friends, but now... Um, and he just clearly has such a natural, like, comfortability with being a, like, cute, charming kid on camera. Um, and so I think, like, as much as... As much as, like, this could absolutely be a... Um, an interracial relationship. I kind of like the idea of them having adopted a kid because, um, or even having like, he's the biological child of his wife, because here's what I'm drawing from love. Actually the story in which, and what's his face? Yes. Liam Neeson and Thomas Rody Sangster are not like, he is not his biological father and they lose. um, Liam Neeson loses his wife. Uh, he loses his mother and there's just a really interesting relationship between them that like Liam Neeson like really wants to get to know this kid and know he's like taken care of, but he just sees him being so sad and is like, I'm sad too. How do we do this together? When like, you still call me by like my first name. Like I'm not like dad to you necessarily. And I really loved that because I think there is something that adds another degree of like 
almost like removal from like the parent child relationship that would make it even funnier if like this kid is just calling up a radio show to be like, yeah, like this guy just needs help. Like, (laughs) I don't know what to do. Help him. Because I think that would be a great spark to like, Hey, let's talk about our feelings. Like, how are you feeling that your mother is dead? Like, I think, I think that that. would play really interesting at the end scene when Sam, so Jonah is fully committed to meeting Annie at the top of the empire state building, even though his Mm -hmm. dad is dating the hoe. Uh, (laughs) And it's not a hoe. She's like really nice. She seemed like a completely nice lady. Like (laughs) she does um, laugh in an annoying way though. So, so, um, uh, Jonah with the help of Jessica books a flight as an eight year old boy to New York and waits at the top of the empire state building all day and all night for Annie to show up. And then when Sam finally races to go find his kid, mm-hmm. they have this really beautiful parent child moment where he's like, he's so desperate to find his kid. And he's like, we're doing all right. Aren't we, aren't we doing okay? Like, I think in your version that that could be a really profound moment where it's like, they do realize that despite the fact that they're not like blood related for whatever reason, they are like family. They're like the only family that they kind of have. So I think that would be really interesting to see on, in like a, a more modern interpretation of like the nuclear family. Let's move on to Walter played by Bill Pullman. The King Walter is the King of Baxter's like the it's, King of Baxter's. It's upsetting how, <laughs> how they treat this man because he is allergic to everything. He is, but he's like, that's supposed to be like, uh, it's interesting because what, what makes us especially like Annie more is that like, he's like kind of difficult, but very kind. And she loves that about him. Like, she's not like, well, it's a drawback and we really deal with it. She's just like, no, that's how it is. And so they connect in a very like, oh, like they really found their people kind of way. Yeah. Which should make it more difficult when she's like, I think I love somebody else for him to be like, Hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> first off let's, okay. We have to talk about this breakup. The way that it's structured is she goes, Walter, I have to tell you something. And then it cuts away from her mm-hmm. to Sam arriving in New York, trying to find Jonah. Then it's back to Annie and Walter, and he's just like... So, he could be on top of the Empire State Building now? No. I guess he could be. No. It's not him, Walter. It's me. I can't do this. Look, Annie. I love you. But let's leave that out of this. I don't want to be someone that you're settling for. I don't want to be someone that anyone settles for. <sighs> Marriage is hard enough without bringing such low expectations into it, <laughs> isn't it? Walter, I don't deserve you. No, nah, I wouldn't put it that way. But, okay. And he never gets mad at her. Yeah. 
he never which is probably core to his character of why he's just so nice like mm-hmm. but i mean this might be the most unbelievable this is the most unbelievable breakup since you've got mail with greg kinnear like when he's <laughs> she's where meg ryan tells greg kinnear that she's not in love with him mm-hmm. and he goes I'm not in love with you. I'm also in love with someone else. Like and the convenience just like, of that. Oh, what a relief. <laughs> yeah. This is 10 times worse because Walter doesn't have a backup plan. No. He literally bought her a ring at Tiffany's an hour before this conversation and is completely fine. She then leaves him at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they have just popped a bottle of Don Perignon champagne, which is, I believe, an $80 bottle of champagne. Holy shit. This guy definitely went out and fucked so many hookers and did so many drugs. Like, he held it in so well, but there's no way this guy didn't, like, murder someone or, like, rob a bank. Like, (laughs) it is. It's entirely insane that he would not be like, maybe I understand him being like, okay, I get what you're telling me. But the fact that like, he just gets this really like sad admission of like, I don't want to be second place to anybody. Like, that's just not, that's clear that that's what's happening. Like I'm your backup plan and you, and that's just not going to work. Like, that's just, it's just sad. Like, I think I would rather see him get mad because he has every right to be angry. <laughs> I'd rather see him get mad and then be like, but here's the thing. We didn't get married and like, you should go see this through. But like, just so you know, I'm not going to be here if it doesn't work out. Like, yes, that's just I never want to see you again. Like, if yeah. you're going to take this leap, I will not be there to catch you. And she would be like, I totally get it. Yeah. And then he should leave. He yeah. should walk out. He gets to walk. He gets to walk away. He should take the ring and the bottle of champagne and he should walk out of the restaurant. And that's how he should have curtain calls. But like, I don't know. This, this was, it just is like, it's a, it's like, a, I'm just imagining like writing that scene. It's like, we can't hate Annie after the scene and realize what she's done to this man because she's about to be reward, ultimately rewarded. Yeah for following her heart, but we also need to make sure that Walter's fine emotionally. So we're not asking ourselves if he's going to jump off a building. Like, so, but I, I think there can be a more realistic version than just him being like, okay, sounds I mean, great. See having, you back in Baltimore. They're having dinner at the top of the rock. Who's to say he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't just, whoop. Um. Yeah, it's uh, he's an interest. Like I love Bill Pullman in this movie because I think he does dopey so well in a way where you're mm-hmm. like, he's not stupid, he's not, um, he's not bad, he's not like there. There are no even when they're trying to make him seem sort of like difficult. He's not difficult. He goes down smooth every time. Like yeah. You like him, but like you also want to be like, yeah, they're not going to work. They're never going to work. He has somebody else out there for him. That's actually the sequel, probably. <laughs> Bill Pullman gets to find love. Um, well, if, if you're looking for a Baxter movie, may I recommend The Baxter? 
Which is essentially Which about is, Walter. Yes. Um, okay. Is it my turn? It is your turn. Okay. For my Walter, I picked Ben Schwartz. Yes. I thought about Ben Schwartz and then I got kind of weirded out about like, maybe this is just in my own head, but I got weirded out picking anyone who wasn't white. Does that make sense? Well, who do you like? It's, it's something. <laughs> huh. I don't know why. I was just sort of like, we can cut all this. This is such a bullshit reason. But like, I got too nervous to be like, okay, Ben Schwartz is a great pick, very neurotic. But I, I was like, I don't want to have Annie break up with like a neurotic Jew for like a white dude and have that be the message of the movie that like Ben Schwartz isn't deserving of love because of, and I was thinking like, you know, Walter could be black. I'm like, Oh, that's even worse. Uh, or Asian. That's much worse. Yeah. I get what you mean. Like wanting to be careful that we're not like sending the wrong vibe or that we're just, or that we're just doing the thing of like, Oh, hey, uh, here's where we decided to like stick someone diverse, but they don't get a win. Like, right. That matters. Like, I love Ben Schwartz and I think that this is correct. Like, this is a correct pick. I just got cold feet about it. Whereas you're, you didn't seem like it was a problem. I I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I think I saw him. I think I see him as great for this part because I want him to be different than like everything else he's ever done. Like I want him to be funny and charming, but like also like, I just want him to be like a great person. And it's less like, Oh, he's a little like weird and more like, no, he's phenomenal. And Annie would be so lucky to marry this man, but ultimately he's just not her person. And so that's where that comes from. Instead of just being like, what a dope, like, okay. Yeah. He's like, sure. He's like fun and kooky, but like, he's never like, I just, I want it to be more like, yeah, he has everything and including the Tiffany ring. And it's just not what Annie really needs it's not really really like that she's he's just not her person i i I think if you get rid of all the like allergy jokes like the the, where he's just like a sickly man and he's not like a weak bodied person yes then you don't have to then then diversity doesn't become an issue i think that like so i i I, you ben schwartz is perfect for this pick i i don't want that to get lost in my weird sort of uh, PC mind puzzle that I kind of got myself into. But, but you do bring up a good point. Change. Yeah, you bring up a good point that, like, I don't think it's us being like overly PC to think about this stuff because, like, this is what people on in casting movies and shows think about all the time. Like, are we being, are we creating a world that looks like our world or are we just like inserting diversity because we feel like we need to check something off a list? And that's not something like I ever want to do because it's gross. Like we should not just be like checking boxes. Like, great. We just need an Asian person. Like, no. Right. Um, here's, here's an, in- oh, I found it interesting. Maybe you don't think it's interesting, but like, so if you get rid of the health stuff, like, which feels like a very nineties, Baxter thing, which is like, oh, he's allergic to everything. He's unathletic. He's just kind of like a dweeb. Like that to me doesn't feel very modern. 
like like you said, Walter has to be someone that Annie would actually date. Like they would mm-hmm. have to be someone where you saw them and be like, this makes sense for them. Like they're compatible. Maybe they're too similar. Um, so I kept thinking of things that would like, like what would a Baxter today be? And I kind of landed on this idea that maybe Walter is someone who's trying to make his life fit for Annie. Does that make sense? Like he's mm. trying to adjust himself to be perfect for her. And in the end realizes that he's like, the reason that I'm clumsy or that I'm weird around your friends socially or all this is because he, he makes the discovery that she isn't perfect for him. Mm. Like, so that when he says like, I don't want to be second place. Yeah. He's sort of realizing something within him as opposed to he's just like a dweeb. Yeah. Um, I think you cracked it. That's really good. Um, okay. So I, I, this was like the hardest because of all that, because you have to like Walter and he has to like make sense. This was actually kind of the hardest pick for me. And I don't think you're going to like who I picked, but okay, great. I'm not sure if I even like who I picked, but I ended up picking Topher Grace, uh, another like dust off the shelf actor to someone who like has like a really strange career. And I can't remember if he had any like weird, like for some reason I feel maybe it was because I recently watched Ocean's 11 again and like because hmm. he is like a hyper realistic version of himself where he was like kind of a douchey celebrity but like hmm. was there a time that he was like a douchey celebrity or is he just by all accounts nice and we just assume he's like I think he, I think he might be nice but like my associ- my association with him, I feel like has gone to a dark place because I did love that '70s show, but like I've seen him play dark recently in a way where I was like, oh. I mean, actually- he played like white supremacist and black Klansman. Yeah. He's played a lot of like shitty shyster characters, like so, like someone who's not not Bill Pullman's kind of upright like good guy mm-hmm. but i don't think that's necessarily because he's not a good guy I, I just sort of thought that like he's someone that you would typically think that like oh yeah he seems like the kind of guy you would like date and bring to your parents house and like he could be funny and he could be like a more modern version of someone who's ready to start a life with a woman uh and then have that like deep realization that it's like they're not right for each other and have mm-hmm. a more uh a more uh, nuanced conversation. I keep coming back to this breakup. It's bananas. This breakup is so unrealistic. You're you're right in that, like if we want him to be more like Annie, I can see Topher Grace being that sort of neurotic person of like, am I doing the right thing? Am I like, am I the right person? Am I doing this well? And then ultimately having the moment of peace with himself where he's like, I can't do that anymore. Yeah, I think he has some Walter in him. It's a little, it's a little, it was hard. Honestly, it was like, it was hard to find a guy who is just as likable as Sam, but that you wouldn't be like, like I kept thinking of like casting like a much hotter actor for for you to be like, why would you ever leave Walter? He's like perfect. He's but then you're everything. just like, I don't know. So I'm, I might have missed, misstepped on this one, but that's what yeah, I picked. I think uh, that's great. I think we could talk ourselves Thanks. into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to Becky, played by Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, hilarious in her 
She's probably the, yeah, she probably earns this spot. I, I think she's, she's in a major part of this movie. And I think why she made this list, at least for me, and why I liked her character so much is that like, it was so fun to see a friend type character that shares in that cultural moment. Like, well, like we were talking about the top of this episode of like the virality of, is that the right word? Virality means viral. I just mean like the the idea that like Sam's story goes viral across yes. the country that like your social, everyone in your social circle is talking about it yeah. and it becomes sort of like an obsessed moment in the zeitgeist that I thought was really interesting and is something that definitely happens to us. Um, sort of like when someone tells you that like a show on Netflix just dropped and it's so bad, it's good. Yes, I did watch Emily in Paris, which is apparently the correct pronunciation of this oh, stupid show. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? Like that, that sort of like one friend is just constantly like, guys, you got to watch this thing. Or did you see this video? Like, and then it becomes that obsession. I really, I, that's why I thought that Becky deserved to be on here. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think too, like, if we're giving like Sam has, Sam has like friends, but like he has, it seems like we get a lot of his like sounding board. Whereas like with Annie, I think she needs, like we need to highlight her friends in a different way. Cause like, it's not like she has like a Jonah to constantly be having these conversations with mm -hmm. like her friends need to be highlighted in a way that it's like, yes, this is her, this is her go-to. Cause she can't talk about it with Walter. Yeah. Um, um, I think it's my pick. I, okay. I went with a slightly older actress because I thought it would be nice is that like Becky is constantly shitting all over her husband. And I kind of kept thinking that like Becky in some ways is just Annie a few years later. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of like Becky is warning Annie to not make some of the mistakes that she has in her sort of tumultuous life. <laughs> and um, so I ended up picking Michelle Watkins, who is one of the funniest fucking actresses out there. Yes. Um, and I just, I just kept thinking that like, she's, she could be that kind of friend who would give you advice that is also self-deprecating to her own life. Yes. <laughs> that is fully like, don't be a terrible person like me who ended up like when she's talking about a dead tree, like led to her cheating on her first husband or something like that. Like that kind of stuff I feel like is that is in her wheelhouse a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, who'd you got? Um, so in my journey, to well i'll say this for my becky i cast someone a little bit younger but someone who i think has a great like best friend snark sensibility i picked uh -huh. Har I picked hari neff because i think in my journey to pick people i had never picked before i realized that i had never picked a trans or non-binary actor um to be in any of my parts and so i was like okay the sad thing is that i really don't feel like our world uh as it lives is currently ready for, and I don't know, I would like to be proven wrong that trans or non-binary people would not be the leads of these movies. And I don't want mm -hmm. to, uh, to put this person in a best friend hole, but I do think she's super funny and, um, just very like, like dry in a way that I really like, 
Um, especially because like Rosie O'Donnell, part of what makes her so interesting is that like she loves Annie and she loves like she wants to give her advice. But there's mm-hmm. also just, like a dark cynicism there that comes off so like she's talking about like Rick, but like with no emotion. And so I could almost see her being like, especially as a younger person trying to be like, here's all the things you don't want to do. And any being like, wait, that's a possibility. Like they're just at two different points, but they have that weird sort of like work best friend relationship. Um, Yeah. So I really liked that. That's pretty cool. I, I don't know this woman's work. I don't, I've seen some episodes of transparent, but I don't really remember any of them. So, isn't Michelle Watkins in Transparent, or am I thinking of something else? Um, or is that Gabby? Gabby is Hoffman Gabby is in. Is in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, someone from this movie is in Transparent. Um, but yeah, I think I, I agree. It's like you don't want to put them in like best friend hole, where it's just like, oh, anyone in the LGBT community can just sort of be the best friend. Mm-hmm. They can't be the lead. But like, in terms of what who Becky is, like. I think that's the right choice of like, it's not just like the best friend. It's sort of like, she's really the only person that believes Annie. Like, despite being the most cynical romantic in the world, she also is a romantic. Like, just because her husband sucks and they fight all the time, she still loves Rick or whatever his name is. So, it it isn't... (laughs) I think in this specific movie, it works, but that this character has been copied and copied and copied so yeah. much to a lesser degree that like the trepidation is like, Oh, gay best friend. Yeah. You know, which we, we never, like, I never want to do like, I do love a gay best friend character, but like we, we just, and it's, and it's especially poignant, I think considering that like Rosie O'Donnell is gay and was not out at the time, like paying consideration to the idea that like, if in a if in a modern world, like how can we how can we make sure that that's not the case where we're just like sticking people in a part to fill a space, if that makes sense. Right. But right. Uh, I also just wanted to check myself because I was like, wow, do I um, do I specifically seek out uh, different kinds of actors even outside of like race and ethnicity, like to to I think familiarize their faces with audiences like is that something that i would do and i was like i don't Mm -hmm. know i haven't done that yet let's try that so so if you haven't seen she's in you and assassination nation um what what season of you was she in first or second because i've seen a lot of second season but i don't remember any first season okay Mm -hmm. okay and transparent so if you haven't seen any of those check that out check it out all right, I think we did it. I yeah, think we're at, I think we I think did. We all, do it. I think all we got. I mean, this pod is—it's sort of the only podcast we're doing in November, so it's a pretty big one. Uh, let's move on to Barry Pepper, guys. Where does Barry Pepper go? What do you got? Um, I made him Greg, Sam's friend from Chicago, played by Victor Garber. So it's Greg and whoever Rita Wilson plays, it's like his, mm-hmm. the the couple from Chicago who comes out to visit later on. Yes. Um, I also made him Greg. 
Mostly because there were lots of characters. Like part of me was like, maybe he could be someone in Annie's family. I couldn't tell you what any of those people's names actually were. But Oh, the character names, yeah. I did remember Victor Garber's character. <laughs> so. I, I didn't I, I was too busy this week to read any of the trivia of this movie, but did Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks meet on this movie or were they married when they filmed this? Um I also Let's didn't read it. I, I think they um I think they were already married. They were married in eighty eight, yeah. So okay. So they okay. this was just sort of like I'm living in Seattle for two months. I need my wife is coming with me. Put her in this movie, or, or like, um, do you think they were friends with Nora Ephron? And she was just like, "Yeah, Rita can be in the movie too." Listen, like, Rita Wilson is a fine actress. I think she she's earned great. her part for sure. There's no way she auditioned for this movie. There's no way. Listen, I don't. I'm not saying. First of all, I'm not saying that she shouldn't be in this movie. I'm just saying it's totally fine. If Nora Ephron and Tom Hanks were buds or Nora Ephron and Rita Wilson were buds and she's like, why don't you play this other character? And she's like, great. I'll come and do three days and, and she really, out, Tom and I will go to Seattle. She It'll really does nail it in the scene where she's describing an affair to remember. And it's just like the tears come like <laughs> it's really beautiful and perfect. And they're just, I mean, that's something I will say that should change is that the way that the men in general disparage women in this movie, the fact that <laughs> twice they're like, it's easier to be killed by a terrorist than it is to find <laughs> to be married uh, find after, 40. after forty. Like I was, and the fact that the women, ha- like that, is something I appreciate is that in both instances where someone says it, the women are just like, that is absolutely untrue. You don't get to say that. But like, there are pieces of this where I'm like, it's just a little dated. At one point, Rob Reiner is like, why don't you call up like that designer? She's perky, and I was like, perky. <laughs> What does that what does that mean? How does that qualify as like dateable? Like I didn't fully understand and I was like I need I need a rewrite. Um you're going to hate me for saying this. Um but the two scenes where they mentioned that it's like it's easier to get killed by a terrorist. Like those disparate like it's a little tongue in cheek but I know what you're saying but like those are my two of my favorite moments in this movie. Like when <laughs> Rita Wilson is crying over a fair remember and Tom Hanks is just like, that's a chick's movie. And then they start, they start talking about the dirty dozen. Like, it's so funny. No, thank Come you. Come on. It's so funny. <sighs> stop it's, it. Stop it. Stop it. It's something. Um, I also love the idea that Annie at one point, uh, request a background check on Sam. And I loved the idea that a background check would require a tail yeah <laughs> like she hires a private detective is a little strange it's the it's the second most outlandish thing in this movie since the breakup with <laughs> Bill Pullman. very much uh, a non-human behavior um i don't have any notes to this movie i i think if you haven't seen this movie check it out it's it's delightful it's wonderful it will fill your holidays from Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day with so much cheer and warm joy. And if you have already seen it, watch it again. It's it's great. It might be my favorite. It might be my favorite rom-com by like a slight margin. A slight margin. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's huge. 
And I I might need to check myself because I might have said on Harry when Harry met Sally that Harry met Sally slightly edges <laughs> sleep with Seattle in Seattle. But I think it's just like whichever one I watch whichever one I watch last is the one I enjoy the most. It's the best. Would you remake this movie? Yes. Oh. I think it would be, this is one of the ones where like thinking about how we could update it. I'm like, that might be fun. It might be fun to like see them, uh, see the sort of like advice call in thing in a new way. I'd be interested. Hmm. I'm leaning no, but I think it's just me being precious about it. You love (laughs) it too much. You love it too much. Uh, Okay. I think that's it, right? I think so. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Rebooted. If you like this episode, please check out our past episodes. We only have a couple more episodes for this year. Uh, Apologize. It's just weirdly been a crazy fall for uh, Kenna and I in terms of work. But we have a couple more episodes to round out 2020. So I think we'll be hitting you with some Christmas stuff. Uh, We should do a Hanukkah movie, too, right? Is there a Hanukkah movie, maybe? Crazy Nights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that the only Hanukkah movie? I don't know. Um, we should try to find that out. Um, okay. Um, please like and subscribe. Tell your friends and family about us. Kenna, where can people find us? You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stop by and leave us a rating and a review. That's the best way to help us out. You can also now find us on Ko-fi, where you can go to make a very small donation to help us keep making this podcast. That link is in our description and all over Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, you can find us on all social media at Rebooted Pod. Lovely. All right, guys. H and G. Hi and goodbye. And then their little feet to be tapped all the way back around. (laughs) What does he say? Oh, Dad, did you know when you play this record backwards, it says Paul is dead? Because, yeah, I know. How do you know? (laughs) He just stares at him. All right. Bye. Goodbye. A kiss to build a dream on to bees.